Welcome to Tribe Talk's exclusive podcast series in which we talk over multiple episodes with Dr. Daniel Gordis about the heart and soul of Israel as expressed through its history, culture, diverse and vibrant populations, and its innovations. Each 20-minute episode provides a deep understanding of Israel's complexities from the birth of Zionism to the present day. Dr. Gordis, Senior Vice President and Koret Distinguished Fellow at Shalem College in Israel, is the author of more than 10 books and is a widely read columnist in Israel and American media. TribeTalk.org is an information and resource hub for Jewish young adults. It's uniquely designed to give students the tools they need to wisely choose colleges and to address anti-Semitism and feel empowered in their Jewish identity from before they go off to college and through their college years and beyond. And now, Dr. Gordis. Welcome back to our series on the history of Zionism and the history of Israel. In our previous segments, we covered the question of why Zionism emerged in Europe when it did at the end of the 19th century, and then we talked a bit about Theodor Herzl and his idea of a Jewish home. Now we kind of want to interrupt the historical part of our conversation and talk a little bit about what Zionism is. Uh, Was Zionism about building a Jewish home? Was it about building a Jewish state? If Zionism was about creating a Jewish state, maybe it should have been over. Zionism should have ended in 1948 uh, when Israel was created. And uh, what does Zionism believe? Well, what do Zionists believe is actually a lot like asking, what do Americans believe? What do Americans believe about immigration? What do Americans believe about gun control? What do Americans believe about a strong central government? I mean, any one of those questions. Americans as a whole don't believe anything. Different kinds of Americans believe very different kinds of things. Uh, And the same thing is true of Zionists. The same thing was true of Zionism early on. And the same thing is true of Israelis today. What do Israelis think about X? What do Americans think about X? It's the same thing. And I therefore like to suggest to people often that we should think about Zionism early on, not as an ideology, but as a conversation. Zionism is a conversation among different schools of thought about how the Jews going back to the land of Israel, the land called Palestine back then, how they were actually going to try to move Jewish history forward. And I just want to point out, of course, that ideologies change, right? I mean, the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln is hardly the Republican Party of 2020. Parties change, ideologies change, and so on and so forth. Uh, So we'll see as we go through Israeli history uh, that the Labor Party of the early 20th century is not the Labor Party of today. Uh, What revisionist Zionism was a long time ago is not what revisionist Zionism is today. Religious Zionism has changed a tremendous amount. But for now, what I want to do really quickly is just run through some of the different kinds of Zionism that there were, just to give you an idea of how varied an ideology this really was. The main group of Zionists at the end of the 1800s and in the early part of the 1900s were called labor Zionists. Herzl was probably the beginning of that. Uh, David Ben-Gurion was certainly the father of labor Zionism in a meaningful way. And once Israel has been established in 1948, Uh, The Labor Party will rule Israel with an iron fist for 29 years. It's been out of power most of the time since 1977, but we'll come back to all of that much later. Uh, The Labor Zionists, as they sought to build a Jewish state, were much more interested in accommodating the British. They wanted a partnership with the British. Uh, They liked to believe that the Arabs, the local Arabs who objected to Jews moving to Palestine, uh, could be convinced that it would be good for them too, that there would be more infrastructure, there would be scientific advances, and that Little by little, Arabs would come around. Um, Labor Zionists were overwhelmingly secular. They were opposed to Jewish practice religiously. They just didn't want to do it. 
but they were deeply in love with Jewish heritage. They loved the Bible. They loved the land of Israel. They were not secular in the way that we think of secular as uninvolved. They were secular in the sense of non-observant, but people who had vast Jewish libraries and studied them and read them and loved them and so forth, and they were largely socialists as well. Uh, in response to labor Zionism a little bit later, comes a group of people who think, you know what, you are deluding yourself about the local Arabs in Palestine. Is there anything that can buy us Jews off? If somebody said, we'll give you another land, would we go there? Well, no, that's not gonna happen. If somebody said, we'll give you a lot of money to live better in Europe, will you stop? No, we're going home. Well, for them also, this is home, and we're gonna have to live side by side, but we're only gonna be able to live side by side if they understand that they can't push us out. And the only way that they're gonna be able to understand that they can't push us out is for us to stand up to them more, and quite frankly, to stand up to the British as well. The major thinker behind revisionist Zionism, whom we'll come back to, is a man named Zev Jabotinsky, a brilliant author, translator, poet, journalist, intellectual, and so forth, who eventually would write a very formative paper in the early 1920s called The Iron Wall, in which he argued what I just said, which is that the only way for the Jews to get the Arabs to eventually make peace with them is to build an iron wall. They have to hit an iron wall, realize the wall can't be moved, and then when they recognize there's no pushing the Jews out, then perhaps they'll be willing to make a deal. Two other pieces about revisionist Zionism that we should mention. Um, one is that it has this notion, which we're going to come back to because it's critically important in Israel's history, of Hadar, which is a Hebrew word which means dignity, honor, pride. And that is going to be a huge component of what revisionist Zionism is going to stress. And finally, it's much more of a capitalist free market orientation uh, than it is a socialist one, which was labor Zionism. Then there's spiritual Zionism, and the major figure behind this is Achad Ha'am. Thought the Jews should go to Palestine, thought the Jews could also go to America, by the way, but he thought that a large number of Jews should go to Palestine, and they should build a Jewish society there. But they shouldn't worry about statehood. Statehood, he said, is a mess. Statehood is taxes and laws and police and army and jails, and we don't want to deal with that, he said. We want to create enough people in Palestine so that there's a kind of a thriving intellectual, spiritual community and home. Uh, but we want to be people of thought, people of the spirit, not people of politics or of state. Uh, he and, you can imagine, of course, he and Theodore Herzl, of course, therefore, were very much at each other's throats a lot. There's another group of Zionists who are run by Aleph Dalit Gordon, A.D. Gordon, as he's commonly called in, in English. And you might call them zealots of labor. They pointed to what had happened to the Jew in Europe, a passive Jew, a weak Jew, a pale Jew, a Jew who sat in the yeshiva all day long, but who couldn't defend himself. Think of the Kishinev pogrom, where Jews, by the way, did defend themselves more than was commonly known back then, but the image was that the Jews were weak. And Aleph Dalit Gordon says it's not enough to go to Palestine, though we should. We need to go to Palestine and work the land ourselves. It is the dirt of the land of Israel under our fingernails. It's the calluses on our hands from working day and night with agricultural implements in our hands. That's fundamentally what's gonna change the Jewish people. Not just going to the land of Israel, not just either having a state or not having a state, but we have to be involved in actually digging out that earth and building this place with our own hands. He does not become a major political force in Zionism, but the agricultural element that he stressed becomes a major force in Zionism in the Kibbutzim. And even today, at the college at which I teach in Jerusalem, when I meet with our freshmen each year, some 30 or 40 have done what's called the Israel Trail, 
which goes from south, the very south of Israel in Eilat, to the very north of Israel in Matula, and they've walked the entire thing. It takes two and a half, three months, depending on how quickly you do it. An inordinate number of people here do it, and that love of the land is, I think, in a lot of ways, a kind of product or byproduct of what Aleph Dalet Gordon, the zealots of labor, was all about. Then there were some religious Zionists. These were people who were very devoutly religious. You would call them today orthodox, but that term didn't really mean much back then. I mean, they believed in going back to the land of Israel because that was the land where the Jewish people had thrived. And it was, they said, a mitzvah for Jews to live in the land of Israel. Abraham Isaac Cook is one of the earliest exponents who becomes an enormously important intellectual figure in early Zionists. Um, and religious Zionism will take on much more importance. We'll see this later after the Six-Day War in 1967 and the Yom Kippur War in 1973. But there is an early fa faction of religious Zionists, even though it's not very large. What's a larger faction back then is actually religious anti-Zionism. Most religious Jews in Europe at that time were opposed to Zionists. And they had a very clear theological reason for it. There was a Talmudic tradition that said that Jews are not allowed to hurry the hands of the clock of time. God had exiled us for a whole array of reasons, which we won't go into now. And when God thinks it's time for us to go back to the land of Israel, then we will go back. But until such time as God brings us back, uh, it's actually a sacrilege for Jews to do what Herzl's doing, what Jabotinsky's doing, what Aleph Dalet Gordon is doing, even what Achad Ha'am is doing. It's a sacrilege for Jews to do that because Jews should stay where they are until God brings them back. The most kind of high-profile group, even though they're very small, who exemplify this attitude today are called the Nature Karta. Strikingly, some of them actually do live in Israel, but a lot of them live in America as well. And they are vehemently anti-Zionist to this very day. Uh, the tragedy of religious anti-Zionism, of course, is going to be uh, that the religious Jews in Europe are going to listen to the religious guidance of some of these leaders in the mid-1940s, uh, and they're not going to leave Europe when they have a chance. And by the time they realize that they really do need to leave Europe, that the Zionists were actually right about what they predicted was going to happen in Europe, it's too late and they can't get out. And the vast majority of them will, of course, be gassed in gas chambers and destroyed and burned in crematoria and sent up chimneys so that they don't even have a burial ground anymore today. Uh, so an religious anti-Zionism has mostly disappeared, but not entirely. I want to make two quick points by way of wrapping up this very brief overview of the many different kinds of Zionism there are, which again, I'm doing only to make it clear that Zionism isn't an ideology. Zionism is many ideologies that have some overlap, but many disagreements among them as well. And a lot of those disagreements, by the way, have filtered down into contemporary Israeli politics, as we'll see uh, down the road quite a bit. So you might ask yourself, well, among all those various Zionist thinkers, who won, right? I mean, did Herzl win or did Achad Ha'am win? Uh, so before we answer that, I would say to you, who won? The Federalists, like Thomas Jefferson, or the Republicans, like Alexander Hamilton? Well, the truth is that they both won, right? Because America today is composed of many of the ideas that Thomas Jefferson proposed as part of his Federalist vision for uh, America, and which was a kind of a more centralized focused government. But many of the ideas of states' rights and so forth are derivative of Alexander Hamilton's views, which was called republicanism back in those days. So to ask him about America, who won, Republicans or Federalists, it's the wrong question. The question is, how do the ideas of the Republicans and how do the ideas of the Federalists all make themselves manifest in contemporary America? And the same thing is true, really, in Israel. So did Achad Ha'am, who wanted a Jewish spiritual community, but not a state, 
Did he win or did Theodore Herzl win? Well, on a certain level, obviously Theodore Herzl won uh, because we have a state. But Theodore Herzl didn't think all that deeply about what the content of that state was going to be. Achad Ha'am actually did think very deeply about what the content of the Jewish community here in Israel was going to be. And Achad Ha'am got his way also. And I think it's fair to say that if we hadn't had both, we wouldn't have either. If you didn't have Theodore Herzl, which led to the, all of the various elements of statehood, it's very unlikely that the Jews in this part of the world could have defended themselves. And it's very unlikely that the community that Achan Ha'am was advocating would have ever succeeded or survived. On the other hand, if you had had Herzl without Achan Ha'am, you could ask yourself, well, what's the point of the whole thing? I mean, you have a state, but so what? And part of what we'll see later on is that Israel's been the home of an extraordinary rebirth of Judaism, and a kind of a Judaism that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world and can't, because it's a combination of nationalism and power and landedness and Jewish traditions and so on and so forth. So ironically, you have Achad Ha'am succeeding and Theodore Herzl succeeding. And there was actually a place in Tel Aviv where Achad Ha'am Street and Herzl Street actually intersect. And I love to look at those two signs meeting each other uh, because it seems to me that the, the geographers of Tel Aviv were smarter than either of those guys in a certain way. Uh, they decided that those two lives should intersect permanently in Tel Aviv as a way, way of reminding ourselves that it's not which one do we need, but how do we make use of both? Uh, and we'll see that happen a lot more as we go through. One of the interesting questions as we see Israeli history unfold is going to be, how do the shadows of all of these great thinkers and ideologues, how do the shadows of those people make themselves manifest in Israeli history? Where do you see the influence of Herzl? Where do you see the influence of Achad Ha'am? Where do you see Jabotinsky? Where do you see Rav Cook? Where do you see Aleph Dalit Gordon and many more? And the truth is, that if you know Israeli society and culture well now in the first part of the 21st century, you see them all over the place, all of them. That orchestra of voices back in the early part of the 20th century has become an orchestra of voices inside Israel in the early part of the 21st century as well. And seeing that plethora of voices and that multitude of different ideas that make up this one state is what we'll be getting to in the segments that come. Thank you for joining us. We encourage you to listen to the next podcast in this series with Dr. Gordis and remind you to visit our website, tribetalk.org, for more resources.